Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. again and welcome to episode 69 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm your host Michael McCall, editor of AFTN and cunning linguist. And I'm flying solo again this episode as it's another Vancouver Whitecaps World Cup special. So as with the last episode, we're going to have a Vancouver Whitecaps flavoured look at the World Cup. But it's not just going to be all the World Cup action we're going to cover this time. We're also going to look at the Whitecaps who are back at training this week. So we're going to bring you some updates from the training ground, hear from Carl Robinson and a couple of the players as the Caps get ready for their next MLS match on Wednesday. All Canadian clash against the hated Montreal Impact. So will it be a summer of 69 for the Whitecaps? Well, they could still get 69 points. In fact, technically, they could still get 84 points. To get anything near that, though, they're certainly going to have to shore up their defence. And that's something that Kyle Robinson's been working quite hard on this week with the players back in training. The last two road games, Whitecaps took home four points, but they did let in six goals. And I mean, that that's just crazy in itself to, to let that amount of goals on the road and still come away with four points. Before we kind of look at the defensive side of things, let's just hear a little bit from Kyle Robinson at training this week. So we'll hear a little bit from the general scrum. And then I spoke to him at the end just to, to ask what he needed to do to stop the Whitecaps leaking those goals and to really shore up the defensive side of the team. Here's Carol Robinson. No, it's great. I think it was a much-needed break. I think a lot of the MLS teams have got that break now. Some are giving uh, shorter, shorter periods off, some are giving longer periods off. I think it was the right time, right, for us to get a seven-day break. Um, mentally as well as physically, I think the mental side of it, you know, I, I spent a few days away with my family with my, with my small children and it's been great for me. I've come back with a smile on my face and I see all the guys in there, they've got the music buzzing again and, you know, they're in a positive frame of mind and we're going to need to carry on that now because we've, we've had a very good start, uh, but it's only a start and we've got to make sure we kick on from this point. And with no game until next week, how do you approach this, this week in training? Hard work, hard work, like you say, after seven days off, it's important we... Uh, uh, ease into it today and tomorrow, but we'll ramp it up then towards the end of the week. Uh, we'll have a day or two off on the weekend and then we'll we'll mentally prepare for Montreal because it's a very difficult game against them. Uh, results haven't been going well for them, uh, you know, but they've got very good players and a very good manager in Frankie Klopas, so we're going to have to be fully prepared for that game. This is the first chance we've had to talk to you since we learned that Jay is going to be out at least six weeks, was, was the report. Um, 
were you on the phone in Hawaii looking for? I was a lot. Or? Yeah, I'm sure you'll see that if you could see my phone bill. Um, I certainly was, uh, as I am most of the time, to be honest. And you know, we're we're constantly looking at players to try and help the squad, uh, bolster the squad, and improve the squad. And you know, that was certainly the case this week because it's it's a big blow for us, Jay, being out for a you know a period of time. Obviously, the the injury that happened for him was a, was a freak injury again. He landed on it and. You know, it's going to be minimum of six weeks, I believe. So, you know, but we'll move on. You know, we've got players in there that are more than capable of stepping in and standing up. But say the ongoing search will will continue. You've had a week now to think about the Philadelphia yep. result. Yep. Three, three goals let in three yep. against Portland. What do you need to do now to tighten yeah, up the, the defence? Uh, we need to get back to work on focusing on, on our footwork movement, uh, our squeezing out. I think if you look at the three goals that we conceded at Philadelphia in a span of seven or eight minutes were. Not very good, if I'm honest. The the first goal was uh, very poor, uh, not dealing with the cross. We got picked off. Uh, the full, Nigel had stepped a little bit too high, got in behind him. Uh, the guy got across Andy in the front post and obviously scored, so that wasn't great. And then we didn't react well after we conceded the, the first goal. And then the second goal come from a from a from a break where we didn't deal with the pressure into in in midfield when it got played into Connor. He managed to flip the ball round. We, we didn't track a runner, and obviously they it was a great movement pattern by them. Uh, great attacking football like we had in our first two goals the game but we've got to be better on the defensive side to deal with that and then the third goal is just a comedy of errors for me we you know we cleared the ball but we didn't get out um, quick enough and we didn't close the shot down and you can't let any any player on the edge of the box ever have a free shot on goal and you know I've said to the guys in there today and I showed them I said listen if you if you let guys we wouldn't let Pe- no no team will let Pedro Morales shoot from the edge of the box because he'll score so we've got to improve on that you know, some of the the attacking side was good in the first half, especially. But we've got to learn to deal and cope with disappointment a little bit better. And you'll get that with young players; it's how they react. And we have got a young group in there. Obviously, Jay went off and Andy come on, um, so there was a little bit of a disruption there. But you know, you can't concede three goals in seven minutes and away from home and still manage to take a point. It really is. It's crazy. I was disappointed for them because. We scored seven goals in two away games and we picked up four points. And really, if you're scoring that amount of goals, you should be taking six points. So what do the Whitecaps need to do to, to stop leaking those goals? Well, one man who's seen all those goals because he's had to pick the ball out the back of the net is goalkeeper David Oustead. So I spoke to him at training this week as well, just to feel f- from that goal position, what is he seeing? What does he feel that the team need to do to kind of turn this around? And just how can they tighten up? So here's David Oustead. We talked about we're fantastic at scoring goals right now. We need to look at the other end as well and and get some maybe some clean sheets or at least um, limit the goals against. Uh, and that's uh, something we need to work on. But if we can do that, I think uh, it's positive. From, from watching the defence from the goal, what have you seen as other big weaknesses just now that's, that's caused the, the late collapses in the last two games? Um, I think we have had some unlucky moments as well. I think uh, Jaden Merritt's uh, penalty against Seattle uh, uh, was questionable. Um, we had one against um, San Jose uh, again. Uh, there have been some great goals well. The Arudi goal, left leg, uh, top corner was, was amazing. Um, but that said, we need to tighten up defensively. We need to be better at communicating and, and, and get our bodies in, in, in the way and, and, and clearing it when we get the chance. Now the Whitecaps have let 20 goals in so far this season and it has been a concern how they've let teams get back in the game. 
Is it due to tiredness? A lot of defensive mistakes, especially in the last two games against Portland and Philly. And it's just something that just can't keep going on for the Whitecaps. They need to really tighten that up. How they do that, with what personnel, that of course is the, is the big decision. I had a chat with Andy O'Brien earlier in the week and you'll have read some of it hopefully on the Whitecaps website. But here's a little bit extra Andy for you. Part of this did appear in the interview where I asked him about the, the danger of the Whitecaps having another summer collapse. But I also wanted to know, as a defender, how is it playing in this modern age? You've seen Jade Merrick give up a couple of penalties in the last two home games against San Jose and Seattle. And it just seems, watching the World Cup, that if you're a defender, you just kind of have to touch a player and he's going to go down. As a veteran of the game, we spoke to Andy just to kind of get his, his thoughts on what it's like playing as a defender in the modern age. So here's some chat with Andy O'Brien. Now, the last two seasons, there's been that late, or just kind of early to late summer collapse. What does the team need to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? Or is it just a different mindset that you feel in the camp just now? Yeah, I think it's... uh... I think it's a different mindset. I think um, you know the mix of the young players we've got, the uh, spirit and the uh, sort of comedy factor that the uh, South American boys bring, and the, the the enthusiasm, and the older boys that are uh, maybe a bit more stuck in the ways. Uh, it, it's a it's a good combination, and I think uh, we're reaping the rewards of that at this moment in time. Um, but it's not early days, but you know we're, there's still a long way to go. I know you, have, you said you hadn't seen much of the World Cup there, but there's been some decisions. Defenders, you just seem to have to touch a guy, and it's mm. like it's a penalty. Jay's had a couple of decisions against him this season. You've been in the game so long now. Is the game changing, or is it harder now for a defender? Do you, is it in your mind you just can't touch these guys for fear of what's going to happen? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I think uh, a lot of leagues have different sort of take or different angles on it. I know that some of the challenges or bookings that have been given in the MLS have been... You know, the first thing that comes into my mind that wouldn't be one back home. Um, but then I've watched the Mexican league and they seem to kick lumps out of each yeah. other, <laughs> and the referee waves on, and it's very entertaining to watch. So, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I think there is a grey area. I think uh, referees nowadays will probably make more headlines for not giving decisions than the ones that they do. Um, but you know, I don't envy the position that referees are put in. Um, we have the beauty of watching replays and yeah. from different angles they've got to make a decision and when you say about the game changing the consequences of failure and, and success uh, have changed you know in terms of financial rewards so there's a lot of pressure on these referees to get it right now again last year the white caps had a fantastic june and uh, kind of end of may start of june they had that great run lots of goals being scored lots of victories took it into july as well before that kind of winless streak kind of took effect 2012, the Whitecaps went on a seven-game winless streak. 2013, they went on a five-game winless streak. The difference being in 2012, they just limped into the playoffs, and of course, as we know, last year they didn't. Going into the World Cup break, the Whitecaps again have a lot of momentum built up. Seven games unbeaten now, going into the, the, the break. There's a danger that you're going to kill momentum a little bit. They were really flying, they were really flowing... Carl felt the break came at the right time because the players were tired and they needed that break mentally as well as physically. That was the big thing at training this week. 
All the players were saying how they were needing the break from a mental point of view and also to kind of rest their bodies up. But there is that danger that it might, might kill momentum a little bit. So I had a word with Andy about that and also asked that same question to goalkeeper David Ousted. Had the week's break. It's unusual really to have a break midway through the season. Do you feel the team was needing it? Carl had kind of said it was coming at the right time. Do you worry it kind of kills momentum a little bit? Uh, I don't think we worry it kills momentum. I think... Um Personally, I would have preferred to have kept on playing uh, on the basis that we're seven games unbeaten. Um, we're in a nice sort of uh, flow. So I don't think it was an ideal thing. You know, when, when things are going well, you want the games to come thick and fast, and uh, they're certainly going to do that. You know, if we don't get off on a good footing against Montreal, people will question it was a wrong time to have a break. So it remains to be seen uh, with regards to that, but um, certainly. In my opinion, uh, I would have preferred to have kept on playing. You're going into the break, seven games unbeaten. Is there a danger that's going to kill the momentum a little bit? Um, there always is, but still, I think it was nice for everybody to get the mental break. I think that was important. Like I said, we have a, a couple of weeks coming up. That's really tough, uh, some tough games. Uh, so just getting that mental break will actually think um, get us get us going again and, and get us um, on, a, on a good path. Now, of course, the Whitecaps have had a makeshift backline for the, the last two games. And there's no doubt that that has contributed to some of the goals because Nigel Rio Coker has been caught with a number of the goals, as has Jaden Merritt. We're recording this after Iran heartbreaking against Argentina, but they are still in the, in the hunt for second place and in that group, which is kind of quite amazing. Of course... Mixed emotions and that, you kind of want them to do well, the underdog to get through. But if they do get through to that second round, it's going to mean the Whitecaps are without Stephen Betashure for even longer. And that will be a serious blow to, to their hopes of kind of tightening up that defence. Especially as well because Nigel Rio Coker's child is due soon, so who knows, he might have to jet off to New York at some time soon. And there's just no one else really that you're looking at to, to fill that right back role. Maybe Russell Tybert could play there. Maybe you could switch Jordan Harvey over and play Christian Dean out in the left. But with Sam Adekugbe and Ethan Sampson still injured and still rehabbing, if Nigel does have to go home before Beta comes back, that's going to be a big blow. And of course another blow is that Jay Demerit is out for six weeks. Well, it's a blow on paper. i quite happy that he's out in one sense. Don't want him out injured, but I, I think it's a chance now for Johnny Leveron, Carlisle Mitchell, Christian Dean, or a new defender that's going to come in to kind of step up, partner Andy O'Brien at the back, and really, I think that is the key to what's going to get this defence tightened up. But that's all for our Whitecaps chat for this week. Let's turn our attention now to the World Cup, but we'll, we'll stick with Jade Merritt. Now, I mentioned last time when we were running the interviews with Gershon Kofi and Eric Hurtado and Pedro Morales about their thoughts and memories of the World Cup that I had done some interviews with Jay Demerit, Bobby Leonarduzzi and Carl Robinson and they were going to be for some features that were on MLSsoccer.com. Now, in the end, those pieces were not used, so MLS Soccer's loss is AFT and podcast listeners' gain. So we're going to run those three interviews today, along with one which I did last week with Andy O'Brien. So we're going to start with the man we were just talking about there, Jay Demerit. Now, as it stands right now, Jay's the only white cap in the current squad to have actually played at the World Cup Finals. Andy O'Brien was there with the Republic of Ireland in 2002, but he didn't play. I mean, a couple of guys that nearly got there, Pedro Morales was 
kind of on the fringes of the Chile team in 2010. Nigerio Coker, as we know, was an alternate in 2006 for England. But Jade Merritt's the only guy that's actually played at the World Cup for America. So I spoke to Jay a couple of weeks ago just to kind of get some of his favourite World Cup memories. What did he take from South Africa in 2010? How has he brought that to his game in the future? And just what did the whole experience mean to him? And we're going to play this in, as we did last week, with some music. And I, I was trying to find kind of an official America World Cup song for 2010. Now, I don't know if this is official or not. It kind of said it was official. It's frankly quite dreadful, so we're only going to get a, a little bit of it. It's a song called The Surface. It says it's the US national team's song for 2010. So we're going to hear a little bit of that. Then we're going to hear Whitecaps captain, J.D. Merritt. Either as a fan or a player, what, what would you describe as your most special World Cup moment? Uh, well, I think the first one would have to be um, just walking out of the tunnel um, as a player. Uh, first game against England uh, was our first game for the U.S. and it was a huge spotlight game for us. You know, it was a it was a who does the U.S. have to play in the first round? It's England, one of the big boys, and if uh, there was a, especially in America, that was a there was a huge attention to that. And uh, for me to be able to uh, stand on that halfway line uh, with ten other guys and and knowing hand on heart that you're wearing your 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 country's colors and your and and you're representing. Uh, your country is is probably the most special feeling you can ever have on a soccer field. Um, so that was that by far is my my favorite memory. The second one is um, the way we beat Algeria in the final uh, uh, game of the group stage. Uh, we needed to win that game, and we knew that if we won it, we'd win our group for the first time. And um, we scored in the last kick of the game. Um, and just the the elation and the relief and the just the I suppose the team camaraderie that that game had for us uh, as a group uh, was really a, a really special moment not only for for us as a team but uh, for U.S. soccer uh, in general and you know I think as we continue to grow the sport here in North America uh, people remember games like that and and what they mean to to the growth of the sport and and then like I was saying putting a spotlight on on soccer in America and there was no better game and no better way uh, to do that than uh, than the, the way the Algeria game ended. Now with everything that you've gone through in your career up to that point getting to the World Cup what did it mean to you just to actually be there as a, as a player? Well again I think that that adds to the to the moment of me standing uh, in the first game and, and knowing that that I had put in a lot of the work and kind of had to do it in my own way and in my own fashion and um, and to have my family in the stands and my brother and my parents and have them all there to help me celebrate that moment uh, again was extra special. From, from what you learned from that whole experience, what have you taken from that for your future career since since 2010? Well, I think the first thing you have to take away from it is the experience itself. You know, uh, during the time I was always reminded, I was always trying to remind myself, you know, let's not let's not try to get caught up in the moment let's just enjoy this moment because I know how fortunate I am to be here and uh, you soak up the sights and the sounds and the fans and the noise and the battles that come in you know everyone everyone knows that there's key matchups in every game and um, 
everyone knows that you know Argentina Holland is such an amazing game because of styles of play and different countries have different ways that they prepare for games and and different styles of play when they actually are on the field and I think the World Cup is is, is something that every four years you really get to see how special our sport is and um, having having been able to experience that from the inside and um, you know to share tunnels with some of the best players in the world is uh, is something that um, I can share now as an experience and I'm one of the few that gets to do that and so whenever I talk to kids or you, you people ask me about my experiences it's those types of things I can rely on that that can really start to give a different perspective to how we be an ambassador for the game or how you spread how you spread knowledge about this game and uh, I think the experience itself in the World Cup was something that uh, nobody can ever take away from you and for me I can use it as a positive that's great thanks so much yeah. that's brilliant thanks, Look how much space here for Guerrero. And Henny Backenhauer right on its line. Saifi with the best chance his side have had for an awful long time. And now they're stretched at the back. The US have numbers. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory. It's London Donovan. So often the inspirational figure was the man who was there to tuck it home. The United States are going on to the last 16. But boy, did they leave it late. The US have won it by one goal to nil. So J.D. Merritt there, and we, we finished his interview by playing Landon Donovan's goal against Algeria that Jay talked about in the interview. So a little bit of audio from that for all our American listeners who are probably missing Landon Donovan at the moment. Or maybe not, because the US has obviously got off to quite a good start. Now, Jay played in all four of America's matches down in South Africa. The group games against England, Slovenia and Algeria. And then, of course, that amazing second round match against Ghana, which eliminated the US. They got a little bit of revenge at the World Cup this year. So, Jay played in all four games. As we said in the lead-up to the interview there, he's the only current player in the Whitecaps that has played at the World Cup. Now, maybe Stephen Bittisher will join him and see some minutes in Iran's last match of the group games. Not sure that's going to happen because it's such a big game for them now and they could still qualify. But who knows, maybe we'll have a couple of Whitecaps that have seen World Cup minutes. We did have YP Lee, of course, but he's now retired. Now, sadly, Jay's current coach, Carol Robinson, never actually played at the World Cup finals. In fact, his country, Wales, have only qualified for the World Cup once in 1958. A couple of times, the, the Welsh were really, really close. For the 1978 finals and the 1986 finals, their, their hopes were kind of ended by Scotland, so I'm quite happy about that. A controversial penalty in 1977 in which uh, a throw-in came across. Scotland's Joe Jordan jumped in the box, punched the ball, referee pointed at the spot thinking it was a Wales player, gave a penalty to Scotland... Don Masson converted the penalty, Scotland made the World Cup, Wales didn't. Sad moment in Welsh football, great moment in Scottish football. Now we spoke to Carol a few weeks ago now, just to, to kind of get his thoughts on his favourite memory, like what his most lasting memory from the World Cup is, just watching it as a fan at home. So he gave us a, a good little fun chat, so we're going to play that now. I'm actually... We, Obviously couldn't get a Welsh World Cup record to play that in, so I thought, hey, why not? Let's play in the audio commentary from that wonderful moment when Scotland won and scored that penalty at Anfield, 1977, 
Wales v Scotland. And then here's Carol Robinson's World Cup memories. Johnson with it. Jordan's there. Field. Surely a handball penalty kick. It's a penalty kick to Scotland. A handball if ever there was one. The referee perfectly correct. Watch it. Up goes the hand and the punch. If ever there was one. A penalty kick. And Di Davis and the Welsh players are out there. The Welsh are very unhappy about it. The fist was there. Don Masson to take this penalty. And I think he's aware of the significance of it. Masson to take it. And he's done it! If I was to ask you what your favourite World Cup memory was as a fan, yep. what would you say it was? I would say Roger Miller dancing in the corner when he scored for Cameroon um, in that one game where he was... And that's when I first started noticing funky celebrations. <laughs> and what has that done for you in your career going forward, seeing that? No, it's, it's, it's made me realise that football is an enjoyable sport and the celebrations that you should do when you score a goal at you know, a high-pressure time is important and that's why I always say to my players go out and play with a smile on your face because if you get if you go out with a smile on your face and you enjoy it you play better and if you play better then you're more likely to score and then hopefully we see some more dances and celebrations and for guys in your squad that might be going to the World Cup now or in the future what, what would you hope that they would take from that whole experience um, listen they've got to continue to improve every day and if they do that uh, on a regular basis then they can reach their goal because every young player's dream is to play professional football and then once you become a professional it's to play for your national team once you play for your national team is to get to the World Cup and if you get the opportunity ever to play at a World Cup which I haven't done unfortunately in Wales hopefully will one day again um, you're right they probably won't um, then it's something that you know they should have a lot of pride with um, but it takes hard work it really does and you know that's what I'm instilling at the club at the moment and just last thing what would it have meant to you to have played oh. that World Cup Words probably don't describe it. You know, I spoke to Better today, uh, well, yesterday when um, when he left, and you know, it's it's. I'm in, I'm pleased for him. I'm excited for him. But what an experience that is, and no one can ever ever take that away from you. So that's why I'll never stop my players going to play for the national team because if they get the opportunity to play at a World Cup or, or major championships, then you know that stays with you for the rest of your life. And there's not many people that do that. Great. Thanks so much. Cheers. Man. Okay, no worries. Fewer than three thousand fans see play switch from one goalkeeper to another. From Groshish to Kelsey. And back again as Ivor Allchurch equalises in the 55th minute. The fans who have made the effort to turn out are delighted to see the underdogs back in the game. Brudai's pass is cut out. Wales drive forward. Terry Mebwin scores the winner. Wales, in the finals for the first time, have reached the quarterfinals. Carl Robinson there with also one of my favourite memories from, from World Cups, uh, Roger Miller. I mean, I, I discussed that in the last podcast, my my love of Cameroon, and that was really kind of buoyed by that 1990 tournament. Roger Miller, all the dancing in the corner flags. That was just great stuff. Obviously, I'm great at, at backing teams. They're out before my jersey even arrived. I managed to, to find probably, I think, from some knockoff guy in China, but got it for $36, including shipping. It's not even here yet. Cameroon's out of the tournament.
Now we've played out a Carol's interview there with some audio from when Wales were last in the World Cup and only in the World Cup. And it was a game that they, it was a playoff game after the group stages, all very strange, which got them a quarter-final place and they beat Hungary. It was a bit of a shock result. They beat them 2-1 and that was some audio commentary, black and white of course, from 1958 when Wales beat Hungary. So if Carol's listening to that, that's the make-up for the the little fun Scottish penalty win that I put at the start. Now another white cap who has made the World Cup finals but didn't see any minutes on the pitch was Republic of Ireland's Andy O'Brien. He travelled with the Irish team to Japan and Korea. He was based in both countries for the group games in the second round match. Heartbreakingly, Ireland went out in the second round on penalties. Andy never saw the pitch but it was an experience that he... He's, just remembers so fondly to this day, even though he never played. So I spoke to Andy this week at training just about some of those memories from Japan and Korea in 2002. I also asked him what his favourite World Cup memory was as a fan. And it's going to be a very familiar one that we've just been talking about. And also a nice little bit of Scotland-England banter with him as well. So we're going to play this in with the Irish World Cup squad's 2002 official song. It's a song featuring all the Irish team, including Andy singing and Nicky Byrne from Westlife, who I'm not sure if people here will know who they are, but they were a boy band, kind of Backstreet Boys kind of thing, NSYNC kind of thing, just your typical boy band in the late 90s onwards, and, and they, they came from Ireland. It's a song called Here Come the Good Times, and it features Andy O'Brien, and after that, we're going to hear from Andy. Now, you were with the Irish team uh, in 2002. Yeah. You play in both Korea and Japan. When, when you know that someone like Stephen's over there in Brazil just now as well, does it bring back all the memories back to 2002 for you? Yeah, it does. It was. Um, I think a lot more is made of it now in terms of the like the media side and uh, you know sort of your experience. I know Stephen's doing a blog and things like that, but uh, yeah, it brought back memories of the day that uh, certainly I went out to train uh, one day at Newcastle and then uh, came back in. And I was informed that I'd made the World Cup squad. It was a, it was a very proud moment, um, and and one that, uh, you know, has probably helped having it on my CV um, throughout my career. And, and one thing I'm internally grateful for. And uh, although I never actually got onto the pitch, um, Stephen has been demonstrated today. I think everybody gets changed as a sub, so you know you, you're well and truly involved, uh, you know, with everything that goes on. So uh, yeah, it'd be an occasion I'm sure I remember for the rest of his life. If you were to pick like your favourite World Cup moment, not involving like you being there with Ireland, what would it be, or like what's your earliest moment from watching the games, or just 
what one thing that really sticks in your head from watching it back home? Uh, is was it Roger Miller with the uh, dance that he did for yeah, Cameroon? That's what Carl said as well. Yeah, actually, that was yeah. that was one of the few. That's one of mine as well. Yeah, uh, Paul Gascoigne crying. Um, I like that. <laughs> well, you like the Maradona moment as well. Yeah, that's one of my favourites. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few, but I'd definitely say uh, Roger Miller's uh, dance at the corner flag was was one of the things I, I the first thing that came into my mind. Right, thanks so much, okay, Andy. Cheers. cheers. Thank Andy O'Brien there, just talking about some of his World Cup memories. I said this before in the podcast, I just, I just love speaking to Andy. He's just so good. I would have him on the podcast every week chatting, basically. It's like I, I would just sit and do an hour chatting to Andy. There's just so much you can talk about. Fascinating guy. Love to have him here at the Whitecaps. And he's he's worked so hard as well. If you speak to Eric Cartado, Eric will actually tell you that a lot of what he's doing and how he's come on, he credits a lot of that to Andy because he's been working with him telling him how defenders will try and defend against them, telling him how to get the better of defenders. And that's something that it's just great to have Andy as part of the Whitecaps team. So we played out of Andy's interview there with another Irish World Cup song. It wasn't an official one. It was from an Irish traditional band called Best Foot Forward. And that was just their little take on the 2002 World Cup and a a song to kind of get the Irish boys all G'd up. As I discussed in the last podcast, I love these World Cup songs, especially the ones from from the players and the the national teams. They're so bad that they're good. Some of them are just really corny. Just something that I've grown up listening to every year. All the teams brought them out. Now, Canada, of course, qualified for the 1986 World Cup. Did they have an official World Cup song? Yes, they did. And you actually heard it in the introduction to this podcast. I'm going to play a little bit more now because J.D. Merritt may be the only current Whitecap player to have played in the World Cup finals. But of course, backroom staff, there's a couple of guys that played in the World Cup. Carl Valentine and President Bobby Lenarduzzi. So Bobby's another guy that we spoke to for my MLS soccer piece that that never happened and actually we we kind of struggled to to get the interview going so Farhan asked him the questions that I I needed asked so when you hear someone talking to him in between it's actually Farhan from the Whitecaps that's asking my questions to him because Bobby and me just couldn't get a time to to link up together. 1986 as we all know was the only time that, that Canada have qualified for the World Cup hopefully not the last time but we'll talk a little bit about that after we hear from Bobby so here's Bobby giving some thoughts of what it was like to be over there in Mexico playing in the games stepping foot on onto the stadium against France and just some of his general World Cup memories and we're going to play that in with this song that I was talking about the official song of Canada for the 1986 World Cup it's called Oh Canada We'll Proudly Play For You and it's from an Edmonton group called Sons of Andrew so here's a bit of that song mentioning Bobby Leonard Doozy and then we're going to hear from the Doos himself Dale Mitchell has touches like no one else has got in Mexico we'll show them how to play and striker George Pecos has a rifle for a shot and Tino Lattieri saves the day Bobby Landuzzi and Chris Wilson will be there their years of dedication 
1986 World Cup, we qualified for the first time, and um, we uh, played France in our first game. And Platini was playing Tigana, Jerez, and they were actually one of the favorites to win the World Cup in '86. And I, I remember standing in the tunnel. Uh, Bruce Wilson was our captain, and uh, he um, was standing across from Platini. It was a very narrow tunnel, and we were just getting ready to walk out onto the field. And then I looked down the the French team and recognized every one of them, uh, having watched them play on, on television, and um, was feeling um, not necessarily overwhelmed, but was feeling anxious about actually stepping out onto the field in a meaningful game at the World Cup uh, to play against all these players who were, who were globally well-known. Right, yeah. And once the kind of once the game started, what was that like? Um, once the game started, uh, we were under a lot of pressure. Although I, in the first ten minutes, uh, I actually had uh, probably should have been called for a penalty. I, I was chasing uh, Jean-Pierre Papin was his name, who ended up going on to be a very good player. Chased the ball down and and knew that I was behind him and slowed down. So I ran over him and and ran over him facing our goal so I didn't I couldn't see the referee and I couldn't hear uh, a whistle but I, I looked back to see if in fact uh, he had called a penalty and he didn't which um, I was very thankful for because that was early on in the game uh, and we, then we settled down and and, uh, and the goal that we conceded came in the 89th or, uh, 79th minute I think it was late on and uh, so we ended up losing one nothing. And prior to the game, on the way to the um, to the match, the Mexican fans were lining the streets. And in Mexico, what they they do is they um, uh, and most often, more often than not, you're playing against their team. So they'll they'll put up a hand and and uh, indicate by a show of fingers how many goals they're going to score and how many goals you're going to score. Yeah. And they actually were using two hands uh, <laughs> when we were driving through because the assumption was we were going to get absolutely hammered. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so it felt good that we were competitive and and, uh, and uh, for the sake of another 10 minutes we would have had a draw. One thousand to one, now the odds they're giving us. A lot of them are in for a surprise. We've got a mighty team that no one else has seen. The stars of Canada are on the rise But who can lay down odds on the hearts of 11 men? Oh Canada, our hearts are ringing true We've won for you before and we'll win for you again Oh Canada, we'll proudly play for you Bobby Leonarduzzi there talking off his memories of 1986 as I mentioned in the last podcast, Mexico 86 for me is like one of the great World Cups. I love the Panini sticker collection from that time. Lots of great memories just in general from that. As as I was kind of joking with Andy O'Brien about there, Diego Maradona's wonderful Hand of God goal, putting English out. Classic moment, which of course generated this famous song from the Tartan Army. Yeah. 
So Mexico 86, the only time that Canada's been there, three games, no wins, no goals. On paper, it didn't look like a great performance, but just to get there, to have Canada have played at the world stage at least once, at least that's something. Will we ever see that again, though? If we are not a host country, and there's still all the rumours that we may try and make a bid for 2026... A lot might depend on what happens with Qatar and whether America gets to hold 2022... But will Canada ever qualify again unless they're hosts? On paper, it is looking tough. I mean, if you look at the CONCACAF region, if you look at how well CONCACAF teams have really performed in this World Cup, Honduras aside, you're looking that America are almost dead certs to qualify every single time. Mexico as well, you expect them to qualify. This Costa Rica team... They are looking so good just now. And there's a stream of Costa Rican players that are coming through. There's a lot of talent coming through. So you kind of imagine that Costa Rica is going to be good for a while as well. So that's kind of three of the spots filled. Honduras as well, you kind of envisage that they're a team that's going to keep going and qualifying. You've got Jamaica that come come and go. Trinidad and Tobago that come and grow. Are Canada going to produce the players that they need to, to make a... A decent attempt to qualify for the world stage again. Well, we know there's a lot of quality talent coming through at the under-17 and under-20 level. It's just going to be tough. And there needs to be investment. There needs to be something that is getting these players top-class minutes at the top level of the game. It's just not happening just now. I just don't see it happening for years to come, to be perfectly honest. And it's hitting Canada hard. And I, I don't know. I don't know if we ever will see Canada threatening to be a a team at the top table. But then I have felt that about Scotland as well. And Scotland's starting to turn it around now. We've got a number of youth players coming through. And one of the things which has always killed Scotland in recent years, I grew up watching us, as I mentioned last time, qualifying for five in a row. Six out of seven World Cups we qualified for. And then from 1998, nothing. And that put us in a vicious circle where we weren't qualifying. So then the next time the draws were made, we got a tough World Cup group and we were playing a lot of the seeded teams and then we couldn't qualify because we were playing the top teams. So then that dropped our coefficient and then we got a weak group again and we couldn't qualify because we were playing the top teams. And that has gone on and on and on. And there's maybe some signs that Scotland's turning that round, but we're still going to get tough draws. Good thing out of it is the way that they've changed the Euros, Scotland have a really good chance of qualifying for the Euros in 2016 and that should get them a slightly higher seeding when the draws are made for the 2018 World Cup. So it's in Europe as well, one less European team in Russia, who knows what's going to happen with them. My dream one day is that I'm going to get to see Scotland and Canada at a World Cup. Maybe it'll happen in 2022 if America get to host. Maybe it'll happen in 2026 if America and or Canada get to host. Hey, you've got to dream. So before we wrap this podcast up, just a a couple of quick thoughts on the World Cup. It's just been fantastic. So much better than 2010. Loving pretty much every minute of it. Couple of crappy games so far. Some really boring performances. Some really boring teams. Russia, Greece, Bore the hell out of me. Would really love these teams not to qualify, but 
they have good players. That's the frustrating thing. They could play so much better. They could play so much more attacking, but they don't. And a lot of the time they, they get punished by it. Before the tournament started, my dark horse tip was Chile. And I mean, they've got off to a fantastic start and they're looking good. I'm looking to see how they progress. And I'd love Carl Robinson to kind of have a look at bringing some Chilean guys in. I know he's been looking at possibly bringing in some Honduras guys. We mentioned before in our previous podcast that he was looking at bringing in some Colombian guys. One of those guys was Stefan Medina. He was a right back, centre back, 21 year old. And he actually injured himself in April, hurt his ankle, it kind of killed the transfer dead before the May transfer window. But that transfer is now killed completely dead because he's joined a Mexican club and the search now goes on. And I think we will see some more South American players and the way that Chile's played, I'd love to bring them in some Chilean guys. Also Costa Rica, let's have a look at some of them, get some Costa Rican flair in there as well. All we can hope is that the World Cup just continues going the way it's going and we just have a fantastic rest of the tournament. Normally the group stages can be a little bit kind of, a little bit cagey. Obviously I'm happy England's been knocked out. Whoa, go Luis Suarez. Can't stand the guy, but I'll make an exception in this case. Knockout round's coming up real soon, so we're, we're hopefully going to get even better action than we've got already. Whitecaps, of course, they're getting back in action on Wednesday. They're at home to Montreal. Then they have a really big game coming up on Saturday against Colorado. We're hoping to bring you a post-game show after the Montreal. Steve will be back. It'll be myself, Steve, and maybe a special guest or two. So we're going to kind of do a Montreal post-game show, Colorado pre-game show. Fingers crossed that that plays out. So thanks for listening to our second of our Whitecaps World Cup specials. I've been your host, Michael McCall, and you can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can read all our stuff online, AFTN on Canadian Soccer News, and you can get there via AFTN.ca or CanadianSoccerNews.com. It's our third annual residency week on AFTN starting this week, so watch out for a lot of articles on the players and the games that's coming up, both the under-18s and the under-16s have headed off to Westfield, Indiana for the 2014 United States Soccer Development Academy playoffs. So good luck to both those teams. We'll be bringing you all this week on AFTN. So you can follow our stuff there. And you can also read my stuff on the white caps for MLSsoccer.com and on Soccerly.com. So last time I played you out with my favourite World Cup song, Scotland's 1982 squad, We Have a Dream, still a classic. Thought I'd keep the Scottish flair going. I know you people just love me talking about Scotland. So I thought I would play us out this time with the 1974 Scotland team and their World Cup song. It was a time of glam rock, Slade, Mud, Gary Glitter, when people remembered him for his music and not for his sexual offences. And of course, the Bay City Rollers. So with that kind of theme in mind, the Scotland World Cup squad came up with a glam rock song called Easy, Easy. And have a listen to this, and I think this could be adapted by the Southsiders and Curva Collective and Rain City Brigade. This could very much be made a Whitecap song. So yabba dabba do, we support the boys in blue. Thanks for listening. Take care, and until next time, mon the caps, and enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Mm-hmm.